Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I look into the changes uh, portended by the new Biden administration, uh, including key appointments in government agencies, FCPA enforcement, the SEC, the OCC and the Fed, and diversity and inclusion issues. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, in our first post-election compliance into the weeds podcast. Matt, all I can say has been a hell of a week. Uh, it has indeed, Tom, although I still feel like a weight has been lifted off the collective shoulders of this country and probably for most individuals in this country too. Glad this is over. So Matt, uh, I thought it would be fun if we could maybe uh, not really speculate because I think we've got some some pretty good data points on where various enforcement within the federal government and policy guidance will take us from a Trump administration to a, a Biden administration. Could we perhaps start with uh, who you, uh, what, not necessarily the people who may get nominated, or what are some of the key appointments uh, for the Justice Department, Securities and Exchange Commission, and other government agencies? Yeah, so I, um, I actually was coming up with a list that maybe I'll try and publish sometime soon. But for compliance officers who want to keep an eye on who these people are, and I have no particular insight into who the actual people might be who serve in these roles. But these are the roles that are going to matter most, I think, for compliance professionals. Probably number one would be, say, who is the assistant attorney general for the criminal division? Who is going to be the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission? Uh, over in the Treasury Department, who would be the head of the Office of Foreign Assets Control, uh, OFAC, which imposes sanctions compliance penalties? Uh, who will run the antitrust division, both at the Justice Department and the, at the Federal Trade Commission? Um, who would be the head of regulation for community banks? Uh, and that can go right on up to very large banks like uh, Citibank and uh, I think J.P. Morgan and others, but the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, OCC, and to a lesser extent, I suppose, the Fed, um, you know, they both uh, have an awful lot to say about banks specifically and their compliance and risk management programs uh, in that sector. Um, If you're in healthcare, you want to look at who is the Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, We could probably go on from there. Uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, which has been largely defanged during the Trump administration, and that was something that created during the Obama administration. would be curious to see who's there. Um, and we could go on. Uh, the Something as simple as the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, uh, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia and Washington, um, there's probably a list of at least 10, and we could go on from there. But those are the sort of appointments we want to watch for as President-elect Biden starts to name some names. Uh, one of the things you touched on was the uh, criminal division of the Department of Justice, and that's significant to us because it houses both the fraud section and the FCPA unit. 
Uh, you and I have talked about <clears throat> FCPA enforcement uh, from before the last election to immediately after the 2016 election and throughout uh, that time on a variety of, of podcasts and platforms. And I think uh, one of the things we saw was largely continuity, uh, some perhaps small changes. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering uh, why you think there'll be more continuity than otherwise in a transition to a Biden administration. It depends on who exactly you're talking about. Now, and I might give a different answer for corporate defense lawyers, but we here are first and foremost our corporate compliance officers. And for them, I think that any changes the Biden administration might bring to FCPA enforcement uh, are going to be more a matter of degree, not a change in substance. And what do I mean by that? So do I think that there might be more FCPA cases? Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, might they start to seek larger penalties? Yeah, sure. And might some companies then try and argue against the penalties or maybe decide that we want to take our chances in court or something like that? That's all possible, but that's the corporate legal department. Corporate compliance department is solely thinking about how do we build a compliance program that responds to the expectations of the federal government. And I don't see that the Biden administration is going to come up with any wholly new thing that they expect compliance programs to do that we've never had to do before. Um, the sentencing guidelines have been around for 30 years. They have the same seven elements of an effective compliance program are always there. I don't think we're going to invent an eighth or a ninth or a tenth. I don't even know what those things could be. Um, so it's more just keeping pace with um, the degree of zeal with which the Justice Department will enforce the FCPA. But I don't like show me a world where they would rescind the corporate enforcement policy from the Trump administration, because that was all about how do we get companies to embrace compliance and reward them through this sort of positive reinforcement approach. If you got rid of it, that would be a negative enforcement approach where companies would suddenly be much more tempted to say, maybe we should not report this mess. We'll clean it up ourselves. We'll hope nobody ever finds out about it. And then we're done. And we don't have to think about corporate compliance. That's what a negative reinforcement approach would result in. Nobody wants that. The Biden administration doesn't want that. If you want companies to be good corporate citizens, they have to have incentives. So in the same way that the Trump administration's corporate enforcement policy descended from the Obama administration's FCPA pilot program. Tom, I think you and I talked about this. I can remember back in early 2017, I was like, well, show me the world. We're getting rid of the corporate enforcement policy. The uh, pilot program would make sense. Of course, they're going to codify it in some permanent way, which is what they did. And I don't see that that's going to change now. They've, They've got no incentive to go to a beatings will continue until morale improves kind of approach. That's not going to get any company to be more forthcoming (laughs) about misconduct. And it's just a whole lot more hassle. So um, to that extent, I don't think compliance officers will be surprised by what the uh, companies are going to have to do. Now, the one area that uh, this Department of Justice has been, I'm not sure criticism is the right word, but certainly questions raised or critiqued around their enforcement has been the uh, dramatic drop in the number of monitorships. And perhaps that was driven home uh, uh, most strongly with the Goldman Sachs FCPA mm-hmm. enforcement resolution. 
The I come around to thinking that under the Benchkowski memo, which laid out the guidelines by which the DOJ assessed a potential monitorship, one was not needed or one was not called for under the Benchkowski memo because of the concrete steps taken by Goldman Sachs in its uh, remedial program uh, up to the time of its uh, settlement. But several commentators uh, said, no, their conduct was so bad. It was so egregious. It was at such a high level involved uh, FCPA violations, involved money laundering violations and uh, some banking violations. That that in and of itself, if not mandated, warranted a monitorship. And uh, could that be an area that could be uh, revisited by a Biden administration? You know, that's a good point. That's an interesting question I hadn't considered yet. Um, Potentially, yes. I personally would like to see monitorships uh, a bit more predictable and standardized and formalized. And I think we've come a long way for that. But I think some of us of a certain age can also remember monitorships, say, in the late 2000s, where who got these monitorships? Well, by sheer coincidence, I'm sure it was always some ex-DOJ person who would then charge a boatload of money for some monitorship assignment that they got. And there was not much transparency into that. Um I think it would be more important to bring transparency to who gets a monitorship and why, Um, like how is an actual monitor selected, I mean. Um, But to the point here that uh, people are talking about with Goldman, you know, that ability to demonstrate that you have taken concrete steps to uh, be able to show your compliance program improvement, you're still going to need to be able to do that. Now, Perhaps, dear listener, if you are involved in one of the largest frauds in history and you're at one of the most influential banks in the world and you stumble into this, maybe we could have that conversation about do you or do you not need a monitor, even if you've demonstrated these uh, concrete steps. But for we mere mortals here on the material plane of corporate compliance, we're probably not engaged in a $6 billion fraud. We're probably not turning a blind eye to some of the worst corruption ever. We're probably not at a huge company with a terrible reputation. You're still going to need to be able to demonstrate that you have taken specific steps to improve your compliance program. That's the sort of day-in, day-out capabilities we've been talking about for years, and you need to be able to develop. And again, it gets back to... Like, look, I don't know what the right answer is. If it's a $4 billion fraud, is that okay? If it's a $1 billion fraud, do we not need a monitor? But if you can't demonstrate the steps you've taken to improve your program, it can be a $2 fraud, and you're still looking at a big monitor question there. So that's really where I keep coming back to is just what can a compliance program, what's it going to need to be able to do? And demonstrating the progress and improvements you've made, that's a big part of it. And that's not going to change. I guess the one change I would hope to see is in the selection of the monitorship. Uh, And I don't point to the Department of Justice. I point to the ZTE monitorship, Mm -hmm. which was handled by the Department of Commerce and specifically Wilbur Ross. When literally the day the monitorship was to be announced, uh, the monitor was taken away from individual one and given individual two because individual one turned out was a never Trumper. And to me, that demeaned the position of the United States in, for, in, in the form of overship as a monitor, and it really hurt the monitorship process. So uh, the Department of Justice, to my knowledge, has never done that, and they are much more further along, I would say, transparency-wise, and certainly the Department of Commerce 
but I, I just want to make sure that we have the U.S. government has its best monitor in place uh, and not given to simply political whims. I, I would agree with that, although, again, like that's something that we hope the Biden administration will reform, but it is separate and apart from what compliance officers need to be thinking about for their own program dealing with the administration. But I, I do agree with you wholeheartedly on that point. So let me uh, switch gears over to the SEC because you have really followed SEC policy changes uh, during the Trump administration as much as any commentator in the compliance space. And uh, what are your thoughts on what a new chairmanship might bring uh, really in the areas of perhaps uh, disclosure requirements uh, in the area of measuring things like ESG results and not so much enforcement, but other policy areas that you've been following. Yeah, that I think is where we probably will see some new things that compliance officers will want to keep an eye on. Um, it is no secret that Democrats would like to see more required disclosure around uh, climate change, around human capital, which is pretty much synonymous with racial equity metrics, uh, and then other ESG sort of metrics as well, although I think a lot of that is synonymous also with just climate change risk. Um, so I am interested in what the SEC might do there, because that is one of the few areas where the Biden administration could put forth new disclosure proposals and rules, and that coincides with what the Democrats in Congress would like to see as well, because uh, the House Financial Services Committee uh, has talked about greater racial equity awareness in financial firms, at banks in particular, but across all publicly traded companies, what should they disclose? Anytime we could see some sort of a bank shot to get a legislative priority also accomplished in the regulatory world, when both branches are under the same political party. That, I think, makes it much more likely that we'll see that. Uh, you know, the SEC under Jay Clayton did kind of tap dance around more human capital disclosure. They basically passed a rule that said you should do more, and that's it. But it didn't actually say what you should do for human capital. Um, I do think that we might see more clarity around that. Uh, on climate change disclosures, uh, a lot of the banking regulators in the U.S. and around the world are talking about that much more because there are significant risks to the financial system from climate change that will be coming soon. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more action there, which is long overdue. The SEC last addressed climate change disclosure in 2010, where they passed a like a mealy mouth sort of, you know, dear CFO letter saying, you should think about this. It's probably a big deal. We've never seen any enforcement around it. We've never seen any substantive discussion about what else should be done there. I do think that will also change under the SEC. But practical, tried and true things, FCPA enforcement, insider trading enforcement, better use of data analytics among the SEC staff so that they can root out misconduct. That's been coming along under the Clayton uh, tenureship while he's been running the SEC. I don't think any of that is going to change. Um, so again, there'll be just more, I think, that compliance officers will have to do. But you know, not necessarily uh, any sort of big surprises in that. One of the things you and I have uh, talked about certainly this year and in in prior years in the Trump administration has been the SEC FCPA enforcement. 
more specifically how the uh, orders issued, the cease and desist orders issued by the Securities and Exchange Commission, have been a fertile ground for us to mine for specific uh, compliance program violations and then in many ways specific mm-hmm. remedies either suggested, proposed, or put in place by the companies. Uh, so it seems from my perspective that the SEC FCPA enforcement uh, has been robust, uh, yet gone in a way that's given us more information as compliance professionals. Uh, you know, that's true. And I would love to see that continue. I hope it does. Um, I always find that they, the SEC letters are more informative than the Justice Department documents. Um, especially around the FCPA, because look, we already know you shouldn't bribe. We already know the various schemes that the wrongdoers will try. But I think it's much more insightful to look at, okay, how did the corporate internal controls fail? Um, and that's what you see in the SEC order. So I certainly, I hope that doesn't go away. The one area that I could see, uh, not really a reemphasis, because it would have to be a new push, is we have a new SEC administration who wants to get back uh, their rights to profit disgorgement for more than five years. Uh, they lost that mm-hmm. right uh, by the Supreme Court ruling in Lou case. And uh, they have consistently said since then it is herd enforcement, although I'm not sure the numbers bear that out. From, but from an FCPA or more overall SEC enforcement, that was really the only major thing that I, I could see the SEC moving towards. I could see that. Um, I would be curious if that is one area where maybe Congress would pass a legislative fix to allow a freer hand at disgorgement and uh, to overturn the Lou decision, which could. I mean, that was the nature of the, the Lou decision was that uh, basically they said if Congress wanted to fix this law for a stronger hand, Congress can do that. Congress might do that. Uh, while we're on the subject, Tom, of things Congress could do to give the SEC and compliance officers a favor, I would love to see Congress fix the digital reality trust decision of the Supreme Court in 2018. That was the one that said, if you want to claim Dodd-Frank whistleblower protections, you must first go to the SEC to be able to claim those. You cannot just claim them if you only go to your internal compliance officer. Nobody liked that decision. It has led to a spike in people going directly to the SEC with their complaints because, like, duh, what else did you expect would happen? Um, the House has passed legislation to fix that. The Senate had introduced legislation to fix that with some bipartisan support. There may be a miracle that it gets done in a lame duck session here. If not, then maybe we will see some sort of a fix uh, next year when Congress, uh, the next Congress uh, reconvenes in January. But that's another one where I would love it if that could get fixed so that uh, my take is always what makes a whistleblower more comfortable to speak up, being protected against retaliation in any way, shape or form. This is a good thing. We should fix this decision. It will help compliance officers. So let's keep our fingers crossed. And I'd like to now turn to uh, not a a new player in compliance enforcement, but one that's become uh, a little bit more increasing, and that's the uh, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and uh, the Fed, uh, the Citibank and Citigroup enforcement actions. uh, You have uh, deeply mined uh, for actual Mm -hmm. points, but it seems that uh, the banking uh, 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 oversight agencies are taking a much closer look 
at uh, systemic-wide corporate compliance programs, even if they don't point to one specific compliance failure. Yeah, this is interesting that the OCC has now, they've had an acting director for, I think, about the last year or so. Um, And they have taken several enforcement actions, specifically within the last several months, that have been really quite interesting. Um, uh, The action against Citigroup, which was a $400 million fine and like a laundry list of improvements that Citigroup and its subsidiary Citibank, which actually is like 75 or 80 percent of the entire Citigroup empire, um, a laundry list of fixes that Citigroup has to make to its compliance and its risk management operations. Um, I think it was there's at least one other large Wall Street bank. I'm not entirely sure which one it is off the top of my head, but they have already disclosed they're going to go through the same process with OCC. We're going to see another big fine against one of the other big titans. It isn't Goldman Sachs. Um, but, you know, we're seeing OCC really step up and impose monetary penalties for a lot of oversight questions that large banks face. And even for those of us not in banking, I think it's interesting to watch them because all other large organizations want to understand What's the best way to manage risk? What's the best way to manage compliance risk specifically? How could you have compliance in the second line of defense play nice with operating units in the first line of defense, which are kind of sort of trying to manage risk too, but you've got two different sides that have to play nice in the sandbox. Uh, OCC spends a lot of time talking about that with the Citigroup action, and I think they're going to be saying more about it as they take similar actions against other groups. Um, And I think this might be more important into the 2020s because people are more worried about systemic financial risk. There is a lot of talk. I'm not sure how much I believe all of it, but a lot of talk that the pandemic is putting a lot of strain on the banking system. I think there are some strains. I don't think it's like the 2008 teetering at the brink of total collapse and you know zombies walking in the street i don't think we're there but um i think that the fed and other banking regulators are paying much more attention to complex systemic risks like that which means they want the banks to do a better job at informing them what kind of risks do we all have so um it's it's just it's informative for the rest of us and for those of us in banking this is a big deal you're going to have to pay attention to it Another area that has certainly intrigued you um, is the Trump administration's attack on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Uh, They passed uh, or have gone after companies that have that type of training. They have uh, opened investigations into Microsoft specifically and tried to put forth a very, um, frankly, uh, white supremacy racist agenda and foist it down on companies uh, do you see that mm-hmm. as something that will absolutely end under the Biden administration, or is this something we're going to have to be onward, on guard about? Uh, yes, I absolutely see this ending in the Biden administration there. Uh, so, but, you know, let's remember what was this is that uh, Donald Trump announced that he wanted uh, to crack down on any diversity training that included some key code words, such as the phrase white privilege. Um 
And then he basically wanted anything that smacked of being unpatriotic, un-American propaganda. That was the actual phrase, un-American propaganda. Uh, That couldn't be sold to government agencies and then any government contractors using training, mentioning those key words or those concepts also would be ineligible to bid on government contracting. Um, Then it also got into some really bizarro stuff where uh, Princeton University uh, received an investigation letter from the Department of Education where Princeton's university's president had said, we have more work to do on achieving racial equity. So the ed department said, we're assuming, therefore, that your past statements about compliance with equal opportunity law are no longer reliable and valid. So we're going to investigate you for that. Clearly, a load of crap. Uh, clearly just Donald Trump throwing some red meat to his white supremacist base. I think all of that goes away come January 20th, 2021. And thank the Lord, because this is just ridiculous, bogus stuff. We have better things to do with our time in our country than chase our own tales over this nonsense. Uh, I'd like to end on maybe uh, some thoughts around the divisiveness of the Trump administration and particularly the steps they've taken post-election uh, to continually to continue to divide this co- country in the face of the clear fact they've uh, legally lost the election and how that really impacts corporations and compliance officers. And if I could even make it more personal to me, law firms, because now some of the law firms that are prosecuting uh, these frivolous lawsuits on behalf of the Trump administration are not uh, are, are being called out even within their own firm. Partners and associates are not happy with the allegations that are being thrown around by these law firms. These are not confirmed facts. Uh, You start a lawsuit with allegations, so I understand that process. But this has taken uh, uh, a really this sort of public approach uh, to a new level of scrutiny. And is there a way to maybe wrap all of that around what the corporate compliance officer needs to do? Yeah, well, this is something that I do worry about quite a bit. I think it transcends corporate compliance specifically to talk more about corporate culture and corporate ethics um, generally. And I worry that Trumpism without President Trump is going to remain. And what actually is it? And I've given some thought to it. And to the extent that Trumpism is anything other than just personal worship and enrichment of Donald Trump, which is most of what it is. Uh, But beyond that, what does Trumpism stand for? It really stands for hating the other guy. And that's pretty much all. Um, There isn't any policy in particular to speak of. Uh, If Donald Trump could get more enrichment in worship by flip-flopping on any policy, he would do it. And we all know that. We've all seen it over four years. Uh, It's not about getting anything done because there's been so much incompetence getting done. But alienating and dividing and hating the other party, hating the other side, that's what Trumpism really is about. And so will that attitude still exist in this country where roughly 40% of the country is allegedly ready to go to some sort of war and coup against the 60% or so who really didn't ever like Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, very clearly Joe Biden won. That's the rules. You know, Donald Trump lost. So are they just going to accept this or are they going to sit there and be bitter and go around for four years saying that the majority of Americans stole my country away from me? Um, and 
while we all might think that's just going to get wrapped up in your personal political views and your nonsense that you sit post on Facebook or Parler or Twitter or whatever you're on, I'd actually I don't think that's true. I think that it can very easily infect how you view the world. And so if you're a large company trying to serve a large number of people with a large number of employees, um, you're going to have your employees pitted against each other because Donald Trump is fomenting that. That's what Trumpism is. And I think that can lead to some real difficulties. Uh, we've already seen it this in the past four years where Companies that were doing business with the Trump administration would face backlash over their from their consumers or their employees. Tom, you're talking about it with law firms right now. Principally, it's Jones Day and Porter Wright, where some of their partners and a lot of their associates are not happy that they are working to pursue these nonsense lawsuits. If you are a managing partner at a law firm like that, are you more worried about placating a client who, A, is probably going to stiff you on your legal bills anyways, or B, worried about your first-year or second-year associates who are going to start spreading rumors and whispers and reputation about the firm, and you know that you're, you're sowing dissension there? And that's just in law firms. But at any large company with a diverse workforce, you're going to have this because there are going to be some Trump worshipers there who are just going to be you know jerks about it frankly um they're jerks about the election right now and i like i wonder where we go with that um i don't want to see four more years of people just pissed at each other largely because donald trump is fomenting this fiction that he was aggrieved and stolen and the woe is me and all this other nonsense that he's been doing for years if we keep that up then corporations are going to have to be dealing with this this mess of social dissension that he's going to keep on sowing. And that's the thing that I worry about. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know exactly what the right response is, but my big fear is that that poison is going to keep circulating in the social body for, for quite some time. Could we end this podcast a little more upbeat note? Do you have anything upbeat for us, Matt? Uh, well, look, I do think actually that Joe Biden is – of the, really an excellent president for the moment that we have, because he is a pretty good guy. I don't know that he is the most intellectually bright president we've ever had, but he's not dumb by any means. Um, I don't know that he's going to achieve a whole lot of uh, legislative uh, feats, given the divided Congress that we still have, but he is a good person. Uh, and there are many, many stories and videos and anecdotes and all this stuff about he is somebody who really does care about the well-being of others. And that is what we need to get back to as a country. So, look, look, that's what I'm looking for right now. That is not what we would have had if Donald Trump had succeeded in retaining power for a second term. That's all gone. Good riddance to it. But I think that Joe Biden is good for this country right now. He is the sort of salve that we need. Um, and for compliance officers in particular, let's bring it back to us. And it's all about compliance. I still think there's going to be a lot of need for compliance capabilities. Doesn't matter what your budget is. Doesn't matter what the CFO says. Doesn't matter what the general counsel says about we want to cut this or we're doing the program wrong or something like that. The capabilities that compliance programs provide to an organization. Those are going to continue to be necessary for success for throughout the Biden administration and whatever might come beyond that. So I'm still very bullish about corporate compliance at its fundamental core.
Well, Matt, I can hardly wait to see what next week brings us. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.